You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. To most people in our world, the name of Jesus Christ is an exclamation for surprise or for injury or frustration or anger. Jesus' name all the time gets thrown down in the dirt. It's used out of context. It's used in vain by people all over the world, all around you, maybe even in your own family. In short, Jesus' name is dishonored by default. That's just the natural thing in our world that people do with Jesus' name. What's interesting is that they use Jesus' name when they stub their toe or they get injured or surprised. And the reason that they do that is that there is unique power in the name and, and our own soul betrays us that there is power in the name of Jesus. And people like power. They love it. People want to get power through whatever source can bring them results. Some people think they'll become more powerful if they can just free their body. If I could just free my body, I'd be more powerful. Some people think they'll be more powerful if they could just free their mind. If I could just change my dynamic, if I could just free my mind from what I think and how it just it operates. Well, Paul has just entered Ephesus and people there were split between two distinct belief structures. One is asceticism and the other is hedonism. Made more plain, this pendulum of thought would go between opposites of people. It would swing one way between these two extremes. One was asceticism, which is deny the body and focus only on the spirit and the mind. So they only want to focus on what's internal. But the hedonists were the pendulum swinging the other way, which is to indulge every human desire and ignore the spirit as if the spirit doesn't exist. So the ascetics wanted to deny human desires, even very natural human desires, but the hedonists at an extreme wanted to indulge every human desire. Aesthetics would say things like people you might hear say these things today. What would ascetics say? What would people with that mindset say? You hear these in our culture. Listen for a moment. They would say this, I'm mature. I know better than everyone else. I don't need anyone. I just focus on my needs and loving myself. I definitely don't eat certain foods and I don't drink certain drinks. And I live to better my inner person. See, aesthetics, they do as they think. It's a mind game for them. It's a mind control. It's a, it's a self-control in their mind. But who does that bring to mind for you? Maybe it's you. Maybe you're wired that way and you operate that way. You're a little bit aesthetic in how you, in your dietary rules and in your exercise and in the way that you think. Maybe you're more tempted to trust yourself and your independence over God. Hedonists, on the other hand, they would say statements like this. They'd say, I do whatever I want with whomever I want. They would tell you, I don't work for you and I don't work for free. They would say, I will drag you into court. I will mock your purity. They definitely say, don't judge me. And if you don't like what I'm doing, then just go away. The hedonists in the early church, as that line of thinking would leak its way into the early church, would require pay for Christian work. They were the ones who would get drunk at communion. Like, for example, at the church in Corinth, they expressed chaotic worship. They just did as they pleased. Well, who does that bring to mind? Maybe it's you. Maybe if the pendulum were to swing one way or the other, you were more often tempted to free your body and declare your independence from God. 
Well, becoming a stronger person is not found through denying all human desires to an extreme, and it's not found in indulging every human desire to an extreme. Here's why you need this sermon. Power is found in the name of Jesus by those who know Jesus Christ. Write this down. The Holy Spirit brings power through faith in Jesus Christ. See, the power is delivered to the Christian with the presence of the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. That's when a believer gets the Holy Spirit, the power of God, on the inside. And what baptism did you receive? Paul goes into Ephesus and he talks to people who began to say, we're a believer. I'm a believer. And he would say, oh, well, what message did you believe? And they said, we believed in John the Baptist's baptism. And Paul then begins to explain to these well-intentioned people that John's baptism of repentance actually pointed to Jesus. And he explained who Jesus Christ was. Well, these people are super excited. They believe and immediately the Holy Spirit arrives in their lives and it's evidence because they began speaking other languages. And we ask the question again, was there now that the arrival of the Holy Spirit, was there the sound of rushing wind? No, not like at Pentecost. Was, were there tongues of fire? No, not like at Pentecost. Let me ask you, when you accepted Christ, when you prayed and received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and the Holy Spirit was given to you in that moment, did you suddenly become a polyglot? You say, what's a polyglot? That's a person who speaks many languages. No, you didn't and I didn't. Why? Signs of the languages and those who believed through the Holy Spirit in the early church was a sign for the apostles to know that the message of Jesus Christ had been received with power through the gift of tongues that they then would use to speak these languages to other people. They would proclaim the good news of Jesus. We'll write this down. Paul's message was affirmed by God's healing power. Early in this point in Acts, God is doing amazing things and Paul is doing amazing things. It's, it's so reminiscent of in the Old Testament, the power that it was upon the prophets, guys like Elijah and guys like Elisha, who were mighty prophets of God and the power of God fell upon them and was evident to everybody. And this began to happen to Paul. In fact, in Acts 19 verse 11, it says this, that God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and evil spirits left them. Now, back when I was in college, there was a televangelist on TV and his name was Robert Tilton and his theology was a mess. Uh, I'm sure his personal life was a mess, uh, but this guy would at, at times just, you know, he was entertaining in the way that he presented the gospel. And I never understood it, but somehow God in his sovereignty, he allowed people to actually come to faith through this guy's ministry. But so often God then would take them from that ministry and bring them to a church where they could grow in community with other people and mature in their life. But, but this guy, Robert Tilton, he used to say, listen, if you send me $10, then I will actually send you a prayer cloth that I've wiped my brow with and I'll send it to you as if this cloth had power like it was example of Paul in Acts. So as college students, we were kind of broke, but we just said, hey, how, between all of us, let's come up with 10 bucks and send it to the guy and see what comes in the mail. Well, sure enough, 
just about a week later, we got in the mail what basically was a little microfiber cloth and there wasn't even like a stain on it from like wiping himself. It's literally somebody just was cutting out swatches of cloth and mailing them out to people for 10 bucks. There's not power in it. Nobody got well from it. But with Paul, the power of the message he was preaching, the power of God in him was enabling just extraordinary miracles like this at the launch of the early church as he's walking into Ephesus, talking to people who were aesthetics, people who were hedonists, and people who were hungry for truth in their lives. Well, the message of Jesus for you and me is more powerful than a hanky from Paul. It is the fact that you and I, even after death, will be healed. We'll be healed from our sin. We have right standing with God. Our bodies will be resurrected. We will be healthy. We will be whole and we will be in heaven. So ultimately, you and I receive the ultimate healing. The people who were healed by a, a handkerchief or, or a, an apron that touched Paul and was given to them, they eventually died anyway. The question is, what did they do with the message of Paul, not just the miracle of Paul? Write this down. Power is available to true believers. See, a lot of people will reach for power. They try to get the power of God through illicit means, or they try to like say the right words without having a relationship with God. And that began to happen in the early church. One of the most interesting parts of Acts 19 begins in verse 13. It says this, some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon possessed. And they would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And one day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus, I know. And Paul, I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. So here's this, this thing that happens. These guys who didn't know Jesus were trying to use the name of Jesus as if that was a secret statement to make, to make demons come out of people. And it's so interesting because we see what happens in Ephesus by the three statements of this demon. The demon says this, Jesus, I know. Paul, I know about. But who are you? And then he grabs them. He beats them. He beats seven guys so bad that they all run out naked. They, they have no more clothing on. They are beat senseless by this demon, this man who, is, who has been uh, empowered by the demon to beat them. And they're beat and they run out and they're scared. But as word gets out, word spreads about what did the demon say? And I want to unpack that for you for a moment. It, notice the demon says, Jesus, I know. He didn't say, Jesus, I knew. Don't miss that. That here years later, after Jesus has been crucified, dead, buried, raised to new life, that the demon is basically saying he's attesting to the resurrection of our living Lord. He's going, Jesus, I know. I know him now. He's a living God. He's alive now. Paul, I've never met, but I know about. Because what happens is when people come to Christ, it's celebrated in the heavens. It's common knowledge. He knows about, but he's saying to these men, who are you? Who are you? See, if you and I try to stand on the power of our own name, there's no power. 
But when you stand as one who knows Jesus, you're a son or a daughter of the Most High God, the power of the name of Jesus Christ is available to you. And let me tell you something. There are people who, if you're an aesthetic, you might say, uh, I, I don't believe in demons because it's all about just the mind and the thought. If you're a hedonist, you might be like, I'd like to go see that because that sounds pretty cool. And you might think that that's a, a, something you want to experience or see experience in somebody else. But the demonic in the spiritual realm is real. It's very, very real, even though you don't see it as dramatically maybe in our country as others. But let me tell you, as a believer in Jesus Christ, we do not heap abuse on demons. We don't call them out for their cruelty or their deceptions. We don't say, I rebuke you. What do we say? The Lord Jesus rebuke you. See, if you're ever confronting a demon as a believer in Jesus Christ, you always stand behind the power and the authority in the name of Jesus, whom we know. Paul, we don't know. You've never met him. I've never met him. We know about Paul. And then in the authority of the name of Jesus, we're asking the demon, who are you? See, in exorcism, the, the tables are turned. In a true exorcism, the tables are turned that I can't command a demon, nor could you, to tell you its name. But by the power of the name of Jesus, you can ask a demon to tell you its name, and it will tell you, and not happily. In the powerful name of Jesus, the demon will tell you its name. And in the powerful name of Jesus, the demon will come out eventually. See, in an exorcism, the tables flip. We know Jesus. We know about Paul. We're saying, who are you as an enemy to disrupt what God is wanting to do in the life of a son or daughter of God, a child of God? Obviously, things like exorcisms are never to be taken lightly. And in ministry in America, exorcisms are rarer than in other parts of the world. But there are times even now that in America, I believe that with among all the psychological definitions that we have, there are certain people who get defined or labeled and we medicate that when in fact it might be for certain people, not all, but for certain people, it might in fact be demonic possession. We actually drug those who are captive to demons in other parts of the world uh, the demonic is very well known and it's very well displayed and people are, are very attuned to it. But in America, we kind of put that to the side. Why? Because we come from a, a side that wants to elevate the mind, elevate the thought, or elevate the flesh. And we're kind of missing the spirit in the middle. Nonetheless, I got to tell you something. It gives you and it gives me the greatest respect for the name of Jesus that when in the name and the power of Jesus, a demon has to respond to that name. It doesn't have to do that in my name. It doesn't have to do that in the name of a televangelist. It doesn't have to do that in the name of Billy Graham or anyone else. In the name of Jesus, you watch a demon who is controlling a person have to respond and leave. That gives you great confidence about power in the name of Jesus. We give Jesus' name the honor that it's due. Write this down. Honor the name of Jesus. Well, what happens in the culture here in Ephesus, all of a sudden Paul's walking around. These seven sons of Sceva are trying to cast out a demon. It beats them senseless. Word gets out about what the demon says. And what goes on from there? Well, verse 17 says, When this became known, the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held high in honor. 
Many of those who believed now came openly and confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. And in this way, the word of the Lord spread and grew in power. Well, what happens? People begin to honor the name of Jesus Christ. People move from disrespecting the name of Jesus to honoring and respecting the name above all names. So believers, I want to ask you just honestly for a moment, in the way that you talk about Jesus, in the way that you swear or the way that you use his name, is the name of Jesus Christ being held in high honor? Are you downgrading Jesus to some other level other than the honor that it is due and he is due. And I want you to just think about your life. How can I elevate the name of Jesus in my life, that powerful name? So turn your heart to a place of reverent respect for Jesus and how you use his name. Stop using it as a swear word. Start using it every time you pray. Do you know that in scripture, we're instructed to pray in Jesus' name? And all the time I hear believers who they'll pray and they'll just get to the end of their prayer and say, amen. And I want you to know that scripture tells us, pray in the name of Jesus, that every time you and I should pray, we should end it in Jesus' name, amen. Why? Because that's where the power is. There is power in the name of Jesus. Well, it's so interesting to see what the people did once they learned about the power in the name of Jesus. Write this down. Confession and cleaning are the best way to show honor. Confession and cleaning are the best way to show honor. So confession, what is that? Confession is agreeing with God that your actions were in fact sin. So you say, God, I agree with you that when I did this or I said that, it was in fact sin. What I'm doing is admitting, God, my actions... They weren't just mistakes. They weren't just errors. When I did that, it was in fact sin. And that sin was costly, God. You died for that sin. And you say, I cannot clean myself, but that cleansing comes only from you through the blood of Jesus on the cross. And 1 John 1, 9 is such good news. It tells us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that good news? So one of the ways that we honor the name of Jesus is we confess. We honor and respect. It's, it's evidenced by confession and by cleaning. Integrity is always costly. And what did these people do? They heard about the name of Jesus and the power that was in it. And they, they began to bring their scrolls. These were occultic scrolls that they used as efforts to get power or to put curses on people. They were like special scrolls. And they estimated the value of them. The scriptures say it was 50 drachmas. 50,000 drachmas. Well, that would be $5.5 million today. $5.5 million. These people came and brought their scrolls. And what did they do with them? Did they sell them on eBay? Did they try to get the return at the store? No, they, they brought them and burned them. They destroyed the scrolls. And it was costly. But they honored and respected the name of Jesus. You honor God when you clean out your godless junk. It might be music, it might be movies or old shrines to sin or strongholds in your life. Though it cost a lot and it may have value, destroy it in honor to the name of Jesus Christ. One of the best ways that you show honor to Christ is through confession and through cleansing. 
Now, if a demon interrogated you, what would it say? Would you say, Jesus, I know. Paul, I know about. But who are you? See, when you and I come into a relationship with God, it is known in the heavens. It is celebrated in the heavens that I know Jesus and I am cleansed by his bloody sacrifice on the cross. My sins are cleansed. They're clean. They're washed away. Well, that's common knowledge in the heavens. The angels celebrate it. The demons hate it. It's common knowledge. And for those who put their faith and trust in Jesus, you have the power of God through his Holy Spirit in you. And that power is in the name of Jesus that the Holy Spirit points to all the time. He's always turning you and me back to Jesus. He's always pointing us to Jesus. Jesus always defers to the will and the the sovereignty of the Father. And the triune Godhead, three in one, exists in us. We've got power in the name of Jesus. Well, Jesus says that eventually everyone will honor his name. But sadly, many, it's going to be at that time of judgment when it's too late. In Isaiah chapter 45, the prophet Isaiah says this, that he's, he's quoting God and he, he quotes God by saying, by myself, I have sworn. And that never saying God swears by himself because there's no other entity stronger, bigger than him. God would make an oath by himself. By myself, I have sworn, my mouth is uttered in all integrity, a word that will not be revoked. Before me, every knee will bow. By me, every tongue will swear. They will all say of me, in the Lord alone, our deliverance and strength, all who have raged against him will be put to shame. And Paul, as he writes to the early church, reiterates this when he said of Jesus, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 and through 11, he said, Therefore God exalted Jesus, that's him, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge, that's a confession, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What does Paul say? He says, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. So my question for you today is, will you honor and respect the name of Jesus? For some of you, you've been lost in your sins. When will your confession be? How about now? Why wait? Acknowledging that there's power and cleansing and healing and forgiveness in the name of Jesus instead of waiting till later under the judgment of the one who holds the name above all other names. Wouldn't you like to come to Jesus now and right where you're seated, just right where you're watching, that even right now you can just say to the Lord Jesus, say, Jesus, today I give you me. I believe you died on the cross for my sin, that you were buried, that you rose to new life, that you're God. I ask you, Jesus, to come into my heart and make me a new creation that you would wash me as white as snow, that you would cleanse me of all my sin, that you would give me your Holy Spirit and create in me a new creation that would honor you because today, Jesus, I give you me. And if you prayed that prayer right now, then the heavens are celebrating. The angels are aware of your decision, that God has washed you as white as snow. Your sins are gone. You don't have to fear death. You can experience the joy of the Almighty. And let me just say to believers, 
I want you to consider in this moment of decision, those who've already believed in Jesus Christ, Have you been downgrading Jesus Christ to be like a human love? Have you been downgrading Jesus Christ to be your homeboy? Have you been downgrading Jesus Christ in in how you reference his name when you're surprised or when you're angry or when you're upset? And I would ask you to begin to become aware, to listen to how you use his name. Would you use his name every time you pray? Would you use his name in honor and respect? Would you honor his name? as we clean out and as we clean up and as we turn back to the living God. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.